0: Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 37, we were introduced to the final told dote that is of Jacob. And in that told dote it basically was letting us know what became of Jacob. That is, Joseph became of Jacob. And so the whole idea of the narrative will continue on for for the most of Genesis until we get just about to the end with a concentration on Joseph. And it introduced Joseph as a favorite son of his father, Jacob. And we understand that there were problems that Jacob himself had, as he himself was the favorite son of his own mother and his brother, Esau was the favorite son of his father, Isaac, and how this could cause problems in the family. But nevertheless, the favorite son of Jacob was Joseph, selected to be Joseph, and Jacob indicated not only the favoritism that he had for Joseph, but also the selection that he had of Joseph in making him the head of the family by making him a coat of many colors, a varied tunic, a multicolored tunic. And this handsome uh, garment would be an indication, not only just for, for Jacob's sake, but to his brothers and all others to note as well, He was the leader of the family and he was chosen this. Let me just simply say it right now. He was chosen this. We know because of Reuben's sin in sleeping with his father, Jacob's concubine. But nevertheless, Jacob had chosen Joseph in this manner. We also found out that Joseph was a good son. And we saw that as indicated in the text. When his brothers would do bad things, Joseph would bear the bad report to his father as well as, as we can see the trust that his father Jacob had in him. And continuing on, we see also how the brothers, Joseph's brothers, were envious of him because of the dreams that God had given him. And this is what is implied in the text. Those were two dreams that Joseph had, which indicated his greatness and how that his brothers and even his father and mother would bow down in reverential observance of him as a great leader. You know, of course, we'll see all of that by the time that Jacob's entire family goes into Egypt. But nevertheless, because of Joseph's father's favoritism toward him, the dreams that Joseph had, his brothers envied him. And in the day that his father sent him, that is, Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers, They were they actually ended up in Dothan while they were pasturing there. The brothers determined to kill him. However, it was Reuben who wanted to save his brother's life and suggested that he should be put into a cistern, an empty well. But not only that, later on, there were some Ishmaelite traders coming through on their way to Egypt. And Judah had a bright idea to make some money and therefore determined to sell Joseph as a slave to these Ishmaelite traders, sometimes called Midianites. Remember, we said the terms were used interchangeably. And so Joseph was sold into the hand of these Ishmaelite traders on their way to Egypt and ended up in the chief head beheader of the house of the king, the palace of the king by the name of Potiphar. And so in the meantime, the brothers went through with this elaborate deception in taking Joseph's coat that they had earlier stripped from him, covering it with goat's blood, sending it to their father and asking their father to verify whether or not it actually was Joseph's coat. And so Jacob Verified indeed. He didn't know that Joseph was still alive, but he still verified that it was his son's coat and he mourned many days for his son along with all of the members of his family, including the sons who were responsible for selling Joseph into slavery. Okay. And now we get into chapter 38. And as I said in the last video, Chapter 38 sometimes seem confusing to certain commentaries, but nevertheless, chapter 38 is such a beautiful and vibrant chapter. Now, not beautiful because of what we see going on in the chapter, but beautiful and vibrant because it supplies to us an explanation. The explanation for God raising up Joseph, choosing out Joseph, giving Joseph those dreams. And remember, look at verse number, I'm sorry, chapter 37. Look at that video again. But choosing out Joseph, giving him the dreams, being involved in behind the scenes and using the anger and the bitterness, the jealousy of his brothers to sell him into Egypt. For all of this is according to the divine will and plan of God. So God is very much in the scene in sending his Children, the the Israelites, into Egypt, even into bondage. We know, of of course, and I can't rehash this right now, and it wouldn't be even wise to do so, where they will be in the land of Goshen, separated from the Egyptians. And we can also see, too, as how God, as early as in talking to Abraham, I believe that was Genesis chapter. Uh, 15 When God Himself said that Abraham's seed would go into a land not their own and be enslaved there. Now, the enslavement, no doubt, God is involved. God permits these things, okay? He permits these things. All of these things are designed so that He can keep Israel ethnically, spiritually, as most part. When I say ethnically, you know, it means as a Jewish people as an ethnic people, spiritually, as a people whom God has chosen to preserve his word, to transmit his word, be a light to the Gentile nations, their purpose for, to the which God chose them in the first place in Genesis chapter 12, when he called to Abraham. But nevertheless, the point that I'm stressing is the beauty of chapter 38 in that it validates what God has done. Okay. And without me getting into all of that, I'll come back the Lord willing at the end of this chapter and discuss exactly how this ties in to the Joseph narrative. Because what 38 is going to do is as we saw 37 dealing with Joseph, all of a sudden 38 kind of skips and starts talking about Judah. And then you, the question you must ask yourself, well, why are we talking about Judah? Is this something different? No, it's nothing different. It deals with the same idea. okay? and I'll get back to that. But the idea that relates to chapter 34, I'm not going to talk about that right now. We're just going to simply get into chapter 38 and return to that. 38 and 1. And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shuah, and he took her and went in to her. So she conceived and bore son and named him Er. Then she conceived again and bore son and named him Onan. She bore still another son and named him Shelah, and it was, Kiz- it was at Kizib that she bore him. Now let's simply stop there. Okay. So now what we see is Judah departs from his brothers. So this is so very key. What we have basically seen all of this time, all of this time with the exception, with the exception of Isaac uh, sending his son Jacob to find a wife from Haran. And we don't want to rehash all of that either because we understand the reasons. He didn't want him to do like Esau, and take a daughter from the women of the land from amongst the Canaanites. But the point is Esau was not the select seed. It was Jacob who was the chosen seed. So that's how we see that. Amongst the chosen seed, they have a purity thus far of the wise in which they choose. They don't have a wise. And when I say that is, not from amongst the Canaanites. And you always have to keep in mind, this is the thing, guys, if you've been watching the videos consecutively as we've been talking about this, I have been saying to you earlier, keep in mind who are the Canaanites. What is important to remember about the Canaanites, basically two or three things, the Canaanites, Gentiles, worshipers of idol gods, oftentimes this worship in their idolatry would be done with sexual immorality. Okay. So they were a debased people's a debased people's worshipers of idols. All right. So we have to keep that in mind. So as far as we have up until this point, the family of the elect people, that is the people of Abraham, then Isaac, now Jacob, and now his 12 sons, which, which we know will make the 12 tribes. For the most part, they have remained together as a clan, as an individual separate tribe. But notice here comes the danger, and it's a lot of danger in this first part. Judah got the bright idea to depart from the family. Now he has separated himself from the clan. What is the danger? The danger is ethnicity, the dissolution of the, the dissolvement of their ethnicity as a separate people unto God. So that's a problem that we're now facing. That's the danger of it, because Judah has now gone down to a place called uh, uh, Adullam, basically about 15 miles away from Hebron, and he's gone to a friend by the name of Hiram who was there and there he meets uh, he meets and finds a woman who is a Canaanite a Daughter of Shua later on. I think in first you'll also see it here as well as in first chronicle. She is called Bath Shua which literally is two Hebrew words bath daughter of Shua So the point is we don't even know her name. I'll come back to that but daughter of Shua who is a Canaanite So now guess what we see is happening here. Judah is marrying a Canaanite. Bring back to your remembrance everything that we've said about the Canaanites. Bring also back to your remembrance what we said in the previous video. Remember, even as God will say in the law of Moses, many hundreds of years into the future, many hundreds of years into the future. What will he say? do not intermarry Deuteronomy chapter seven, do not intermarry with these Canaanites because in doing so they would turn your heart from following after God. You have to remember this principle and remember it to be turned away from God. Not only will bring about the discipline from God himself. Remember all of these things. Remember all of these things that I'm saying to you, it will not only bring about discipline, judgment, that comes from God, but ultimately the chosen people will not be able to fulfill their purposes that God has chosen them to fulfill. What purposes again, preserve his word, preserve the knowledge of the true and living God, not these idols of the Canaanites so that they may be a light to these Gentile nations, even the Canaanites. Okay. So you have to remember that. But what has Judah has done? Judah has done. Remember, now let's go all the way back in our mind of Genesis chapter 34 and, and go back and look at that. If you've forgotten it about when Dinah, the daughter of, uh, of, of Jacob through Leah, had this bright idea to go visit the Canaanite daughters, women of Shechem. But, and once again, what happened? The threat of intermarriage and the whole idea of everything that I'm saying to you guys, losing ethnicity, losing their purpose, all of this being endangered. Now you see it being endangered in a proper sense once again. And, but, but now it's not just simply the threat of the danger. The danger has now been materialized. How has it been materialized? Judah has departed from the clan. Judah has even now married Judah, daughter of Jacob. I'm sorry, son of Jacob has now even married one of these Canaanites. And even more so, here is the danger in the scripture. As we look historically through the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah, Judah is the one through whom the Messiah would come. So we can see a dilution of the ethnicity of the Jewish people. We can see their involvement being absorbed by the Canaanites, the loss of the knowledge of the true God and messing up the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah himself. So no doubt, guess who is in this plan? Satan, himself. Why? Because he has always been concerned ever since Genesis chapter three and 15 to pollute the seed that should come from the woman, the seed that God has been talking about from Abraham, the seed that he promised Isaac seed, Jacob. Remember through you that is in your seed, singular, singular, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So no doubt the devil is involved in this and Judah through his foolish connivings, his foolish choices here as well as his, he he doesn't discipline his own sexual desire. He, He doesn't keep them straight. Instead of him taking a woman like has always been done from amongst his brothers, he takes one of the Canaanites. And remember, what have we said about the Canaanites? All right. And this is exactly what we're going to see. So continue with the commentary of the text. And this you must remember as we work through the text. So he has three, he's very fruitful. He has three sons from this woman, daughter of Shua. And her, and and you know what's even more incredulous about the thing? The scriptures never even gave her name. We don't even know this. Canaanite's woman name. And that seems to me to indicate the the height of disrespect that God was giving to what Judah had done at this time. God really did not like this. And it's gonna become clear to you. Why, as we work through the text. So let me just simply go through that. He has three sons: one by the name of Ur, the second son Onan, and the second same name Shalah. Even though these names may have some sense of symbolism, it doesn't seem to have a true symbolism in the sense of that which comes from God. It could be a symbolism of that which comes from their Canaanite mother their Canaanite mother, keep it in the back of your mind, a worshiper of idols. Okay, and so what do we have here? All right, verse number six. Now Judah took a wife for Ur his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother in law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brothers. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord. So he took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up for he thought, I am afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. So now let's talk about that. So important and so beautiful and so justifies and validates God's actions in choosing Joseph for what he had done. Remember, Joseph is now sent into Egypt, even though a slave, we know Joseph will become a king and therefore Joseph will preserve the lives of his people and therefore he will set them separate. He will set them separate in the land of Goshen. But let's go back to what we're talking about. So now we deal with Ur, uh, Judah's firstborn son. And so Judah does the right thing and chooses a wife for his firstborn son and seems to give the idea that this Tamar may be a daughter from amongst his own people. As we see Judah himself choosing a wife that seems to be the implication that Tamar is either Jewish or of his own father's clan, like we've been seeing all along. But nevertheless, when Judah took a wife for Ur, whatever was going on with Ur, he was so evil and wicked that God, took his life that the Lord took his life. Now here's the thing. We don't know what it was that er did that made God take his life, but what is being implied in the text. And this is what I do not want you to miss. This is what I believe God himself don't want you to miss when Judah married this Canaanite woman. Remember again, what would we put a view in saying about the Canaanites idolatrous immoral, Godless people, okay. And who is Judah, servant of the true God? That's who he's supposed to be, worshiper of the true God. But notice what this mixed marriage child did, Er, Er, did. Instead of him taking of his father, taking from his father, apparently choosing to serve and please the God of his father, it becomes clear that he has taken the side of his mother. The Canaanite idolater. So he chooses to follow in the footsteps of the Canaanites. Why? Because whatever Judah, I'm sorry, Ur has done, he has done it to such a degree that God has determined to kill him. So Ur was indeed wicked. And so guess what you can see here coming in the sons of Judah wickedness. But what you have to learn is this. What you have to understand is this. They learned it. They learned it. But who are they learning it from? Are they learning it from the house of their father, from their father's ancestors, namely Judah? Or are they learning it from their mother's ancestors? The Canaanites is clear. Okay. So fine. So fine. Now, Ur is dead. And so now Judah commands his second son, Onan, and tells him, all right, do the obligations that you have towards your brother. That is what we call the leverage marriage. Okay. Later on, this would be codified into law in the Mosaic code, in the Mosaic code. So in the law of Moses, this would be set forth as a commandment for the Israelites to do. The levirate marriage involved, Say, say instance. Say for instance, if your brother should take a wife, your brother takes a wife, and peradventure he should die before having conceived a son, a child, by that wife, the brother who is next in line to that brother who died. He is to take his brother's wife as a sort of sort of a temporary wife unto himself, have sexual relations with her. For the sole purpose of bringing forth a child, once she conceives a child, he is to end. He is to end the sexual relations with his brothers, his dead brother's wife, and the child that is to be born is not to be reckoned after the brother who whose child it is, but it is to be reckoned after the dead brothers, so that the dead brother can have a name, a seed for his name. And this is the same thing. This was done also too as a way of custom in the time of Judah. And so therefore Judah commands, he tells his son Onan, you go do the obligations to your brother, okay? And that is create a seed for your brother's name. But the problem was, notice what the scripture says. Onan knew that if she became pregnant, it would not be his son. And that's not what he wanted. If it was not going to be his son, he didn't want to participate in this thing. But nevertheless, now here's the thing. If he didn't, if, if he wanted the child to be his, and if it wasn't going to be his, he should not have participated. In other words, he should not have had sex, with his brothers, with his dead brothers, with his brother's wife, he should not. He should have refrained from that. But instead, knowing that the seed would not be his, not wanting to impregnate her, he still would. And the idea is this. It would be customary because you're going to have sex, have sex until she gets pregnant. So he would still have sex with his brother's wife. But what he would do is. He would, when the time for ejaculation would come, he would remove himself so that he would spill his seed, his sperm on the ground. So the point is, here is the point. So what was he doing? He was, he was enjoying, he was, he was enjoying sexual relationships with his brother's wife, dead brother's wife, and not doing what he legally was bound to do, create a seed. He didn't want to create the seed but he did want to have the sex. This in itself was immoral. And guess what? God also for this act killed him as well. Now, example number two, let's look at it again, guys. Where do you think Onan is learning this type of behavior from? The ancestors of his father, Judah, righteous people, people of God, or is he learning this practice from the Canaanites. And we see again, once again, such practices that will be enumerated many years into the future. Again, in the books, in the book of Leviticus in chapters 18 and 20, when God talks about the immoral sexual activities of the Canaanites, when he commands Israel, do not do these things. What do we see? Oh, non! Doing these things. What do we see in Ur? The one who was killed by God, his wickedness. What do we see in Judah? The greatness of his era in marrying this Canaanite woman in the first place, and now what do we see concerning Judah's children? His children, for all practical purposes, are nothing more than Canaanites themselves even though they come from Judah, they act as if they have no knowledge of the true and living God. And what did God choose them for in the first place? I keep telling you guys the same thing, preservation of the knowledge of God, the worship of God so that they themselves will be a light to the Gentiles on who the true living God is, how to live a righteous life before God, but not Judah's son, the seed, not him, what a mess this has become. So now, and I said I was gonna wait to the end of the chapter, but let me just simply do it now. Can you not see why God chose Joseph? Why God gave him those dreams aloud use the irritation and the envy of his brothers that they might do the evil things to me. Remember Joseph will later on say you meant it for evil, the bad things you did to me, but God meant it for good so that he may preserve us alive. Notice, preserve us, that is preserve their ethnicity, preserve their purpose, and preserve and keep and maintain their life. But that's the point that I'm trying to make. Can you not see and agree with the divine wisdom of God in loving us more than we even understand and love ourselves, how he sent Joseph into Egypt? Because if God did not act, the seed as you already see now is in jeopardy, the nation as if all as the rest of the clans of of Jacob follow in this foolishness intermingling with the Canaanites, it would all fall into jeopardy. So God acts preemptively in Joseph, preemptively as later on, you're going to see a famine come. Where do famines come? Oh, it comes because God who causes the rain to fall who God who God did all of these things. It's because of love. Again, I said a million times and we know what do we know? Paul, all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord. To those who are the called and guess what uh, Jacob's tribe, the called of God from Genesis chapter 12, called by God for a purpose of God. And God is working all of this, everything that I've been saying to you for the good of them, even though his discipline and judgment sometimes is hurtful and painful. But nevertheless, it is needful. Okay, so it's a mess. And that's what we see, right? And so what happened? So Judah tells his daughter-in-law Tamar, he said, okay, go back to your father's house, put on your widow's clothes, (laughs) because number one, his youngest son, Shelah, was not old enough to be married, that is, so that he can go into Tamar and bring up children for his brother. Okay, but that wasn't the real reason why Judah told her to go to her father's house. The real reason was Judah was concerned with how his sons kept dying off, and he didn't want to see his last son die off in this manner. So he lied, per se, and sent her, that is Tamar, back to her father's house. You know, the idea is wait till Sheila becomes of age, and when he's old enough, I'll give him to you so that he can go into you, have sexual relations with you, and produce this son on behalf of her, your first husband, you know, your true husband, my eldest son. And that was the point of Judah, okay? But Judah was not being uh, candid about this issue. Now let's continue on, verse number twelve. Now, after a considerable time, she daughter, wife of Judah died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shears at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. It was told to Tamar, behold, your father-in-law is going to uh, going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself. And sat in the gateway of Enayam, which is on the road to Tenai, Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. You know what? Let me stop there and we're going to deal with this issue previously. OK, so now a considerable amount of time has passed. And that's a beautiful thing, guys. Notice now, remember, Judah departed from his brothers, right? Basically, not long afterwards, not too far afterwards, Joseph was sold into slavery, okay? And remember, it was Judah's bright idea to sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelites for money. Judah's bright idea. What a mess Judah has become. But nevertheless, after a matter of time, so even more time has come. So this is not happening in just a few days. These are years going on, going by. Judah's wife dies and once his wife dies, he communicates once again with Hira, his friend, the Adulamite to go up to this place named Timna, and there they would uh, shear the sheep. The, the sheep shearing sometimes would be done as a gathering of a number of the shepherds and sometimes in a festive type atmosphere. But nevertheless, they were going on to Timnah. Uh, Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judah, recognized two things. Number one, she noted that Sheila was now remember the baby son of Judah. He was full grown. He was grown up enough so that Tamar could be given to Sheila as a wife so that she could get the baby. All right. But Judah didn't do that. So it was never Judah's intention for doing that. And, and also too she heard or how Judah was on his way to Timnah at this sheep shearing possibly festival at this time. All right. And so Tamar took it upon herself to remove her widow's garments. And that is the garment. These were simply were customary clothing, traditional clothing worn at that time, which would indicate that the woman who was dressed in this manner was a widow. Her husband had died. So she took these garments off this garment of being a widow and she replaced them with other types of garments in so much as she covered her face. She gave herself the appearance of a prostitute of a harlot. And that's what she is doing. Right? So now let's go on. Okay. Let's go on to verse number 15 and we're going to talk about that. When Judas saw her, he thought she was a harlot. Why? For she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road. And he said, here now, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He said, therefore, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. She said, moreover, will you give me a pledge until you send it? He said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your seal, your cord, your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and he went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garment. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the men of her place saying, where is the temple prostitute? who was by the road at Iniam. But they said, here, they said, there has been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, there has been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep them. Otherwise, we will become a laughingstock. And all, after all, I sent this young goat, but you did not find her. Okay. So now let's talk about this pathetic scenario concerning Judah. So what does, what does Tamar do? She now has on the clothing of a prostitute and she waits, she goes on the road on the way to Timna dressed as a prostitute and Judah is coming by the road. And what does Judah do? He observes this who he perceives as a prostitute, her face is covered. So he does not recognize that she is his daughter-in-law and what does Joseph do? He, he, well, he, I don't know the word that you, there's a word that you use to go into a prostitute. And so he asks, Hey, you know how much that's literally what we would say in this time as you pull your car over to the side of the road of a prostitute standing on the side of the road and you simply say, how much baby? So Judah is, it's amazing. Is not God wise? I ask you again. Is he not wise? If I asked you this question, here you got Judah, and, and notice even later on, Judah is going to, they are going to use the term uh, temple prostitute, Hekdesh. I think it's that term, Hekdesh. Hekdesha, Hakdeshah, which literally means temple prostitute. Okay, again, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this guys. Remember what I told you about the Canaanites? Not only did they worship idol gods, but oftentimes they would use, they would involve sexual immorality. So they would have these, the the Canaanites prostitute, in order to, okay, let me just slow it down so you'll understand it. To engage the men, men involved, to get involved in their idolatrous worship, okay? They would have, temple prostitutes, prostitutes devoted to the temples of the idol gods. And what these prostitutes would do is have sex with men engaging in idolatrous worship. So the sexual activity would be a part of the engagement in the worship of the idol. We would see that with certain gods like Baal, Baal. This would be done for him. And also, uh, 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 or Escarim. These were idol gods in whom this type of behavior, these were often called gods of fertility, fertility gods. So the idea would be to stimulate sex, sex, to stimulate these idol gods so that these gods would bless, uh, uh, the fertility of the land, Worship these gods with means of having sex with all of these women, often in the temple of these gods. Now, imagine Judah of Jacob, who serves the true and living God. Judah is now willingly participated. Notice, look at the point. Of, what am I trying to say? Look how far Judah has fallen. No more. just simply fooling around with the Canaanites, his wife. But now he's dealing with temple prostitutes, idolatry, idolatry. God is wise in sending them away. But continuing with the narrative. So he propositions the woman how much. And so the, the woman tells him, you know, what would you give me? then? What, what do you, what you think is worth? And so Judah says, I send you a kid goat. So at that particular time, Judah didn't have a goat on hand. The woman was smart, but now remember this is Tamar. It's not a goat that she wants. She wants to lure Judah into having a, in having sex with her. wife, because since he won't give a son legitimate seed that, that she should conceive by Judah's son levered marriage, then she'll do the next best thing. She'll get a child by Judah himself. You got it? So it is still of the family of Judah, of the family of her dead husband, Er. You got it? It's the same idea. So Tamar is dead on the money. So that's what she she's she's quite smart in this thing. But nevertheless, Judah doesn't have a goat with him. And she knows it. And so she says, I tell you what you do. Since you don't have a goat, you need to give me some sort of a pledge because you may not want to send that money. You may have sex with me, leave and I don't get paid. She's smart. And so she says, I tell you what you do. You give me something that belongs to you personally that you don't want to depart from. But notice she wants something that can be personally identifiable to Judah to Judah. So she asks for what? His signet, these are, and oftentimes the signet would be like a ring or something worn on a necklace or something that you use to seal a deal or something that you would impress into wax. You would impress into wax or whatever, sealing of a document, sending of a letter. It would identify that this belongs to Judah. Okay. So she asks for the signet. She asks for uh, the 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 cord that was on his neck, another personal identifying thing, as well as his staff. So all these three things that she is asking for, uh, 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 in case he doesn't show back up with the payment, these things personally identify that it's Judah, and it is in the plan of Tamar. She doesn't want to go. She will leave once she, once she has sex with Judah, she's going to leave and keep these things. So when the the stuff hits the fan and we're going to see that very shortly when the stuff does hit the fan that she will be able to say, Judah, you're the father. Okay. But nevertheless, let's continue on. So Judah has sex with the woman and once he has sex with the woman, she conceives. The woman gets pregnant, Tamar gets pregnant. She goes back home, takes off the garments of the prostitute. The charade is now over, and now she puts back on her widow's garment as she's once again in her father's house, and there she waits, right? But in the meantime, Judah goes back to, he's going, remember, he's going up to Timnah to the shearing festival or whatever. He's going there, and he sends his friend, the Adulamite Hiram, to take the payment back to the harlot and retrieve his personal belongings. And so Hiram goes back there. He doesn't see Tamar. Remember, she's gone home on the road again. He inquires of the men and notice clearly where is the temple prostitute? That's how we know that this woman that Tamar, appeared as a Canaanite idolatrous prostitute. Okay. All that stuff that I was telling you earlier, how it pertains even to Judah. What? How far Judah had fallen in all of this mess? Sleeping with a prostitute, a prostitute that is uh, labeled for the service of an idol god, not even Judah's god. What did Judah done? Departed from his brothers, from his clan. Now we can see Judah. What? Departing even from his god. But the point is. Hiram says, where's the woman? Nobody can locate the woman. They says no prostitute here. And so he starts looking for the woman. Don't find the woman. He goes back to Judah and says the woman is not there. Judah says, okay, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We will just, we'll just keep it. Just leave it alone and let her keep those personal items of mine. Lest we become a laughing stock. Now here's the point of irony that I want you guys to see. He already is a laughing stock because look how far he has fallen. Look at what he has done. And I keep saying it again, again, and again from departing from his brothers, marrying the Canaanite woman, his sons dying in judgment before God, him going into a temple prostitute and all of what a mess. You are a laughing stock, Judah, a laughing stock amongst your brother, a shame and a sadness before the true and living God Himself. But nevertheless, so the situation is left for the most part where it is. Okay, so now let's continue on with the discovery of Tamar's pregnancy. Verse number 24. Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed. your daughter in law Tamar has played the harlot, and behold, she is also with child by the harlotry. Then Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. And it was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father in law, saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, Please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these Judah recognized them and said, Oh my God, she is more righteous than I inasmuch as as I did not give her to my son Shalah. And he did not have relations with her again. It came about at that time she was giving birth and behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth, One put out a hand and the midwife took and and took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first. But it came about as he drew back his hand that behold, his brother came out. Then she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and he was named Perez. Zerah. All right. So finally, in a process of time, about three months later, it was discovered that Tamar was pregnant, and so the people found out and said Tamar because her sexual immorality—that's what they mean. She played the harlot. Okay, she should not have been having sexual relations with any man, and she is not even married. And remember, she still has this obligation unto Judah's family. His sons. Okay. And so they run immediately and tell Judah that Tamar has done this sexual immoral thing and notice Judah immediately comes with a judgment. He lays down the judgment, bring her out and let her be burned. And this was customary during this time for sexual immorality. Okay. Namely adultery. Adultery, and this was the idea concerning Tamar. And so Tamar, as the men dragging her out, preparing to drag her out to burn her at the stake for her sexual immorality. Remember, I told you it was never her intent to get the goat from Judah as payment for the sexual agreement. Judah thought he was buying him some stuff. It was never her determination to get paid for it. She took. Personal identifying things from Judah, and so she has kept them even up until this point. Why? Because in the wisdom of Tamar, she knew this day would come in which they would want to do this to her, and so she brought out what the signet, the signet ring, the cord, as well as the staff, which could be personally identifiable by Judah, and she sent it to Judah, and she said, "Before you burn me, the man that I'm pregnant by." These are his things. And when Judah saw it, knocked him off his feet. He said, and so he said, oh my God, she is more righteous than I am. Now, what did Judah mean when he said that? Judah understood because of his own deception. Shelah, his baby boy that had grown up now, to be a man and who should have been given over to Tamar as a husband, to bring up a child unto earth. Judah didn't do that. And so Judah is saying, because I didn't do what I was supposed to do, and Tamar took it into her own hands to have a child, even by me, the father of Shelah. It has proven her act is indeed righteous. My act by not giving my son was unrighteous. She is more righteous than I am. Okay. That's what Judah meant. But not only that, there is still a holistic sense of the nature of what he said. Look at everything that I have been saying about Judah up until this point is not Tamar indeed more righteous than Judah who has been acting in a most unrighteous way for years. For years, departing from his brother, marrying the Canaanite, having sex with who he thought was a temple prostitute, involved in sexual immorality, involved in idolatry, departing from the true and living God. Indeed, she is more righteous than he is, but nevertheless, so the time passed by and tomorrow finally had was time for her to give birth and it was discovered she was pregnant with twins. So in the process of giving birth to the babies, one of the children reached one of the babies reached forth the hand out of her womb in the process of giving birth. And so the midwife quickly tied a red tie around his hand to signify that he, this one came out first. So therefore the idea is that he was the firstborn son, but In the meantime, he would pulled his hand back in the womb and actually his twin brother was born. And when the twin brother was born, this shocked the midwife and she said, oh my goodness, you have made a breach against your brother. And therefore they named him Breach. That is the meaning of the name Perez. It means breach. And then finally the one with whom the cord was bound on the wrist, He came out last and they named him Zerah, which means bright or something to that effect. They named him bright. So now we see the five sons of Judah Ur, Onan Shelah, from the Canaanite woman. And then the daughter, the sons that he had from Tamar, who we believe is Jewish, but nevertheless, or of the daughters of his father's family, those two sons, Farah, I'm sorry, Perez and Zerah. And so, Judah, we see in chapter 38, has now five sons. And we know it would be through Perez who will be the descendant through whom Jesus, the Messiah, would come, through whom David would come. And that's found in also in the book of Ruth. Okay, but we're not gonna get in all of that. Wrap this chapter up. Chapter 38 binds together chapter 37 concerning Joseph and chapter 39 unto, unto out and throughout that we see Jacob and his descendants going into the land of Egypt in the land of Goshen. It binds them because what does it do? It shows the wisdom and purpose of God in preserving Israel ethnically. Why? Look what Judah has done. Now you got a bunch of Canaanites. You know, it's a mess. It's a mess. And it's through for that we're going to see the ethnic purity that will be maintained. That's why she's of his father's family, Tamar. But that's what we see in 38. God's wisdom in that, what does he do? He knows if he does not take act concerning his people, they will destroy themselves, intermixing with the Canaanites, lose their ethnicity, and not only that, end up worshiping the gods, what we see with Judah, worshiping the gods of the Canaanites. How sad, but nevertheless, chapter 38 shows to give us why God raised up Joseph, ultimately why God sent them into Egypt. All right, thanks for joining me in that extended teaching guide. The next time we come back, we will be in chapter 39, the Lord willing, and we will continue with the toldot of Jacob, what became of Jacob. That is, Joseph will continue with the story of Joseph. See you then.